1: Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic
0: Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Welcome everyone to Why Shamanism Now. This is your host, Christina Pratt, and I'd like to begin here today by calling out to the Helping Spirits to be with us. So I call out first to your ancestors and to mine. I call out to all of those men and women who walked the earth all the way back, to the first man and the first woman. I call out to these people who lived well and died well and bring to us the legacy of all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines. May we use that legacy well in our own time. May we learn from those who have gone before us. And may they stand close to us and whisper in our ear when we're just about to make that exact Same mistake again. And help us to call out the innovative qualities of our mind and the compassion of the heart and humanity that exists in the bodies of the people that are alive here today. Help us to call that forward and do what is needed in our own time that may be different, that is hopefully different from those things we have done before and proven to ourselves time and time again are not sustainable and are not working, and most of all, are beneath us and our better selves. So may these ancestors stand with us and help us to step fully into our best selves, and may we truly be better humans. And for all the spirit help that is helping us in every single day to be a better human, I call out through those human ancestors to those non-human ancestors, to those beings that live here on earth with us, Now, been here long before there was ever a human, and will be here long after. I call out to life and its great diversity and enormous wisdom and strength and grace. I call out to this energy to be with us here today to help us to find our wisdom, our strength, and our grace, and to be a part of that great web of life in a good way. Let us be the blessing that we were meant to be for all of life. And as these helping spirits gather around us here today and hold us well, let us gather ourselves. Remember, this is not something you can ask your helping spirits to do for you. Gather yourself, choose to be here now, drawing your energy from wherever it might be into your mind, from your mind into your heart, from your heart into your belly. And from your belly, let us touch the earth and take a moment in reality this real earth that is our only home, let us take a moment and give thanks. Thanks for life. Thanks for this day and whatever it holds for us. Thanks for this place to walk our journey, the beauty and the diversity and all that is here on this journey for us to become the men and women that we are meant to be. And we give gratitude to the earth for the generosity in her dreaming that whatever it is that must change can be changed as long as we are still breathing. And so we give gratitude for the life, the breath, the reality of this day, as we send our energy down through all the layers of the earth, reaching out through each layer and giving our profound gratitude to this being, the earth, until we reach the very center of the earth and those energies that gain their strength Through stillness, silence, darkness, through those energies that are before abundance, that are before nourishment, those energies that are before all that allows life to exist here on earth. And we reach into those energies and draw them up up through all the layers of the earth into ourselves and in this way we call in this nourishment. We call in that which replenishes and restores and rejuvenates. We call in the wisdom of manifestation, how to be here in form in a good way. We call these energies in and we ask these energies to help us to learn to take a stand, to be here in our bodies on the earth, know what we stand for and to create our life out of those things that have heart and meaning to us. And to do so in a way that opens our door to the other, sets a place at our table for those who are other than we are, and to break bread with them in our lives and in our hearts and to be open to those conversations that have not yet happened but must. Because without the other coming into our lives to be different, to be uncomfortable, to make us nervous in our own skin, only in that way is the man or the woman within us born into our true place here on earth. So let us be provoked by each other to be better, to become the men and women we were born to be, and may we live our life in a way that invites precisely those interactions in. And may we learn this from the earth, to embrace diversity, to grow strong through that embrace, and to come into right relationship with ourselves in that way, all the many voices within ourselves, Come into better relationship with our environment and right relationship with this earth, right relationship with other living things on this earth and right relationship with the invisible world. And as we come into relationship with all of these things, let us draw our energy in and begin to rise up from our belly to our heart and our heart to our mind and draw on the energy of the earth to support us in rising up and out through the sky, through the atmosphere, into the cosmos, and all the way up to the highest power of the universe. And by whatever name we call this energy, in whatever way we know it or conceive of us, let us connect with these radiant energies above, and draw these energies down into our day, through all the layers of the sky we call into ourselves, into our proceedings here today, We call in the essence energy of blessing. May we draw it into ourselves and receive it and extend it out to others. May we draw in the energy of protection to give this energy to ourselves and to offer it to others. May we call this energy in from above and use it to be committed and devoted to right action, right use of will. May we draw these energies in To feel the enormous benevolence of our universe and let it be within us. Let us feel the illumination and inspiration and the guidance. Let us see deeply within ourselves the lighthouse in the storm we find ourselves in. And may we find all of this in the energies from above as we call it in and feel the great beneficence of this universe of which we are all part And we draw these energies in from above, letting them move from our head to our heart and our heart to our belly, sending them all the way back down to the center of the earth and in this way we become. The place within where the energies above and below these two great legendary lovers come together in the big love that has birthed this entire experience of form we are all having together into existence. And may that same energy awaken the spirit of your heart. And may your heart open up to the great crucible of transformation that lives within us. And may you use that crucible in a good way. Call up the fiery passions of your belly so very different in quality from the crystal clarity of your mind. And draw that down and bring these energies together in your heart and let them move in a dynamic tension that gives birth to this third and most essential thing for each one of us to know, which is why we are here. And let us find some memory, some inkling, some sense, perhaps a vast burst of clarity, but let us find in our hearts some sense of knowing why we are here and reach in to our heart and find the courage in our heart to do something in this day, large or small to make those unique gifts manifest in our world and for the countless the boundless spirit help that we all have to do exactly that thing i give great thanks may what needs to be said be said here today and what needs to be heard be heard and may these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things And speaking of living things, for which I have gratitude, I would like to thank Regina, Ian, Emily, Malama, William, Brian, Mary, and all of the listeners who have donated financially to the show. Why Shamanism Now is listener supported, and that means it exists out here in the world for anybody who can get onto the Internet to access 400 hours of podcasts about shamanism, um, available free for anyone because of you. Because those of you have donated generously to help me to pay the bills that make that reality happen. And I am grateful for you. I'm grateful for those of you that share the show, that bring these ideas into your own journey circles, into your own practice, even into your own feel inspired to have your own solo practice, just to be able to manifest these ideas in your life in some way that you can wrestle with them, try to break them, see what questions come up, and continue to help our understanding of the practical application of shamanism in our contemporary lives to grow. So thank you all. Uh, if you don't know how to support Why Shamanism Now because you get it off iTunes, please feel free to go to why shamanism Click on the support button. Scroll down. You can donate any amount, large or small. We are grateful for all of it. For all of it goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And we thank you all for your support. We are live here today. So if you have questions about today's topic about Norse shamanism, please feel free to call in at 512-772-1938. Or you can Skype in from the Code-CreatorNetwork.com site from wherever you are. Or email me at Christina at after the show if you have questions um, after the show airs live. So we have one of my favorite guests on the show again uh, here today. We have Evelyn Reistock. Evelyn, thank you for being with us today. Oh,
1: I'm delighted to be here.
0: <laughs> yay all right so today's topic is evelyn's next fabulous book she has a a line a long line here of fabulous books um and i mean that very sincerely i'm not a very good reader so for me to say a book is fabulous it means it's extremely well written and interesting to read at the same time so for those of you that do not know evelyn is a nationally recognized um shamanic teacher and healer she's a speaker and an artist she illustrates her own books which is amazing um and she is the author not only of the norse shaman which is our topic today but of spirit walking spirit walker's guide and, and um a spirit walker's guide to shamanic tools which for those of you who want to smith and create your own things it's a great book to go out there and find and some of you don't know about it which is crazy um and also another book called modern shamanic living and all of these and all of her other extensive writings are about focusing on living in harmony with the earth and how ancient healing methods support us today as individuals to feel more whole and confident and connected and empowered. Um, so if you'd like to reach Evelyn and the larger bio that you're welcome to read, you can find her. Is, it, is, is the passages email still the best email? Is there a better email for people to reach you? Evelyn? No, that's a, that's perfect. Okay, so it'd be passages at Maine, as in the state, M A I N E dot R R dot com. Um, you can also explore her books, um, et cetera, at Evelyn dot com, which is E V E L Y N R Y S D Y K dot com. And workshops and classes and her work with her partner, Allie Knowlton, um, can also be found at spiritpassages dot com. You're just all over the place these days. (laughs) So thank you again for joining us here today. And since we do have a global audience and we need to not make assumptions, let's start, um, by talking about who, who we're talking about when we are talking about the Norse peoples so that we can kind of put our
1: conversation here on a map of the world. Um, I specifically am sort of thinking about the Viking world of uh, uh, in Scandinavia, Northern Europe, that that Norse Germanic kind of uh, cultural background, and my desire to get into that work is because of my own personal heritage. The idea that I have these ancestors that my my um, family venerated and uh, celebrated their traditions and what have you. There was a great deal of pride about uh, being half Norwegian and the other half is German and Scottish and Dutch. And uh, in in sharp contrast to that is the fact that my ancestors, at least on mainland Europe, uh, started two world wars uh, and have created a great deal of turmoil in the larger sense, because I also have some English ancestors as well, in colonizing large swaths of the planet and subjugating native people. So I had this desire in my shamanic practice to work with that conundrum and try to unpack whatever the spiritual illness is that is a part of the fabric of my being and everybody that shares my heritage. And I do that not just from a place of um, healing my own family, but finding out what is it about human beings from the point of view of my own ancestry that causes us to look at other beings as separate from ourselves. And I, I had no idea that this book was going to be so timely Uh, But here we are at a place that you mentioned in your invocation where we're again faced with this idea that there is somehow an us and a them, Mm -hmm. a me and you. And so the whole project really grew out of that deep desire to try to unpack that and heal it. That's a long answer to your question.
0: (laughs) No, but it answers a couple of the questions I was going to ask, so we're good. Um, (laughs) But it it is, you know, speaking to this um, conundrum, and for many people it's like a hard stop in the inability to get to their true ancestral helping spirits, those ancestors who are ready, willing, and able to function precisely as they always have for their descendants, and this big heap of... Other dead people <laughs> who are not necessarily in a place yet to be able to function as ancestral helping spirits. And so how do we as contemporary practitioners who, who have ancestors, and many of us, most of us, I would you know, venture to say all of us, have ancestors who at some point in time were shamanic people. Absolutely. You know, and, and how do we get to them through the big They're- heap?
1: Of the There is a, some very loud about. sounds coming on the line, and I don't know where they're coming from. Oh, okay. Sounds uh, like somebody dropping books from a great height.
0: <laughs> really? Hmm. I'm not hearing that on my side. Well, I'm not doing it, it here, so must hmm. be gremlins. It must be gremlins. That's what we get for talking about real things that might change the world. That's right. must be yeah. shaking up something. Okay, let me um, – okay, so let me ask you a question and while you're doing that. I'm going to see if maybe there's something going on with my mic. So um, what – so so here you are. You're off exploring your ancestors, and um, so how did you get or discover along the way or stumble upon a relationship between the ancestors and the fire?
1: Oh, it's a brilliant – Uh, a a PhD doctor called Mike Williams. I'm sure you've interviewed him or at least heard of him. And in his book, Uh, Prehistoric Belief, he postulates that all of our ancestors were altering consciousness all the time every evening. And what he realized is that fire flickers at the same rate of journey drumming. It's that same four beats a second that is a rhythm that our brain uh, goes into when we're in visionary states. So every one of us who sat in front of a fireplace or in front of a campfire knows you get into that kind of dreamy other space. You're somehow not quite in ordinary reality anymore. And apparently if you think about the world that our, our deep ancestors were in, it was incredibly dark. So the effect of the fire would have been heightened that much more. Everything strobing, you know, as the fire flickers, everything around us strobing at that same rate. And so visionary experiences were very much a part of our deep ancestral experience. And those that became adept at that would have become the shamans in the same way somebody who was particularly adept at making cordage would have been making snares somebody more adept at napping flint would have been making tools and arrowheads and knives so the idea that first of all we know that expanding awareness or altering consciousness is a is a common human ability and and honing that is what separates somebody from the shamanic practitioner or a shaman. The shamanic practitioner uses discipline and practice to harness that state for the purpose of getting information, guidance, insight. And so it's, it's my, I agree with this idea that our deep ancestry experienced journeying as community And each evening, and then the one that became adept at it became the shaman who could harness that ability at will. So, based on my own experience also of being in front of fires, I find it a a wonderful way to easily step into uh, non-ordinary reality, the spirit world. And it's it's a wonderful tool for somebody who does not have hearing I worked with somebody uh, via email, someone who was profoundly deaf, and so he couldn't use um, an auditory driving uh, stimulus, so he couldn't do drumming, rattling, unless he was moving himself, that, that helped a bit. But he found that moving and doing his own rattling distracted him too much. So he found that also working in front of the fire with an intention, he became adept at using the fire as a way to expand awareness. So I think all of us can claim a shamanic heritage for this reason, because at one point, all of our ancestors uh, lived their lives in front of a central fire. And that ability may be responsible for the leaps in intelligence, because journeying as we understand it, journeying has the capacity to alter our brain, not just in the moment of journeying, but it improves intelligence. It improves our ability to synthesize information. So you have this disparate pieces of information and you can suddenly synthesize that into a new idea, a new path, a new solution to a problem. It assists in problem solving. It assists in stimulating both creativity and the imagination. And all of those tools support uh, a higher um, level of using our intellectual and creative capacity. And so there's some thought out there um, among people with PhDs uh, that – our ability to expand awareness contributed greatly to the leaps that our species started to see about 70,000 years ago. The first times you're, you're starting to see art, you're starting to see um, remnants of what would be musical instruments start around 70,000 years ago, and they start in a kind of explosion. The, f- the first um, paintings that uh, I'm aware of are in Southern Africa and they're approximately 70,000 years old and there may well have been some veneration of uh, an animal and that place would have been a snake. The Chauvet Cave in Europe, which is approximately, I want to say 35,000 years ago, uh, that has um, beautiful images painted all over the walls and also has a place for venerating cave bears. The earliest instruments that have been found so far are flutes that are approximately 40,000 years old. So there's this sense that as we began to use these tools and also live a bit more densely, we were sharing visions with one another, sharing information. And in that, that stimulation, we began to change on a, on a fundamental physical level. Cool.
0: <laughs> I love the fact that everybody's finally starting to figure out, you know, what the shamans are talking about in these stories that they tell, right? They have a story that tells why, but it's a story. It's a teaching story. And then we have these people with these wonderful letters behind their name that can actually do the science
1: <laughs> and measure
0: things and, and tell us why. So our head goes, oh. Now I understand the shaman story.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, culturally, we, at least in the last few centuries, we have spent so much time developing sort of that left hemisphere skill, you know, the, Mm -hmm. the part of us that, had to get grades in school and whatnot so i think we need some you know the equivalent of dog cookies you know little dog yummies Mm -hmm. for our left hemisphere yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) so it doesn't so much interfere but collaborate with us you know exactly so we we give it a little yummy and then it goes oh good information it's true oh (laughs) great
0: (laughs) okay so how has this um Connection with your own bloodline ancestors, how has this changed your shamanic practice
1: well, I have to say my great uh, great grandmother has been my teacher from nearly the beginning mm-hmm. and that uh, that relationship because I think all of the the profound Changes in my life have been through relationship. I think we're wired for that. So my relationship with my great-great-grandmother has opened up the door to her mother, has opened up the door to understanding that once our ancestors are no longer in their own physical bodies, they move in to a, a transcendent kind of state of being and they become... A kind of pure love and guidance for us, you know, even if we didn't particularly like them very much, they are a tremendous source of support, and they also live in our body. so there's this marvelous uh, combination where you're actually awakening the aspect of them in your own physical body as you work with their spirits. you know i don't I don't separate those two they they fit together beautifully. And then indeed, there's a, um, there's a body of research that they did at the, in Europe, European Psychological Association, that has proven that all the tribal people in the world that venerate ancestors really have the right idea. They used a scientific method in the European Psychological Association, but to boil down all their research, they discovered that people that just think about their ancestors before taking problem solving,
0: Hmm. We might have just lost Evie. I'm not quite sure. I, can um, you oh, there hear you me? Are.
1: There you are. Yeah, we lost something else, though, that was making all the noise. That's beautiful. Oh. <laughs> well so, done. Um, Whatever so you, you killed saying, it was a wonderful thing.
0: You were saying uh, people that just think of their ancestors and then you went
1: cut out. So you were. Okay. So, so the a people point. that think about their ancestors before taking problem solving or intelligence tests actually did markedly better, statistically better on those tests than people who didn't think of their ancestors or simply thought about people who cared about them to whom they were not related. (laughs) So simply recalling our ancestors before we do a task somehow opens up our capacity. So as shamanic practitioners, we would say, well, of course, we've evoked their spirits. But I Mm -hmm. also think it somehow opens up part of us.
0: Our capacity as humans. Yes. Yeah. Interesting. Okay. All right. So let's move along to one of my favorite parts of your book. So you're minding your own business, traveling along, learning about your ancestors, and how did you get onto the first shaman?
1: Well, I in thinking about all of those ancestors sitting around fires and somebody coming uh, becoming a specialist, I became curious about my own line and. Looking back at that, and with the guidance of my great-great-grandmother, did some journeys to lead me in a direction of doing research, which was to look at what kind of finds uh, archaeologists have been finding. And it seems, at least at this point, the earliest shaman grain we have found is 28,000 years old. It was found in the what is now the Czech Republic. Uh, in uh, Dolne Vestinice, and it was uh, a grave of a woman uh, ceremonially buried, and also someone who was, interestingly enough, an artist. She was making little ceramic figures. And she made figures something like 12,000 years before anybody decided to make clay vessels. So she was making art with clay long before people decided, hey, you could store food in these things. <laughs> and uh, what is interesting is there is a, a mother figure that she made that was beautifully intact. But all the animal figures that she made had exploded They were all in pieces. And I realized immediately, having worked with effigies before, that first of all, she fired the animal figures wet so that they would explode. And in my mind, she was making effigies to bring animals back into ordinary reality. So you have these figures that you make. They're inspirited with the spirit of the animal. You fire them the fire Breaks the figure apart and releases the spirit into the world. So, in my mind, at least, she was re-inspiriting the animals that the people depended upon for food. Hmm. And the mother figure recalled earlier figures of, you know, little fat grandmas, basically. Unfortunately, (laughs) the figure I look at in my mirror. And... uh, and the that idea of this older woman clearly a body that has had uh life experience multiple pregnancies usually that body is a body of multiple pregnancies and has lived beyond menopause P- humans made that figure for 38,000 years in one form or another that is a long time for a culture that does not Right, but instead passes down information orally to have held that idea so to be so important that it was continued for 38,000 years. To me, those things kind of clicked. So, this shaman 28,000 years ago has this mother figure. Why is that important? Maybe that is really a sign that there is an elder in our human family line that is venerated. And who is that elder? Perhaps that elder was the shaman. And through journeys and through research, I believe that our ancestors understood that the one who could help us was connected also to Mother Earth. So it's this interesting character that straddles the two. It's a nurturing figure. It provides that um, that substance for survival. In the case of the shaman, it would be healing, midwifery, and also information from non-ordinary reality, bringing it from nothing into something. Shamanic work, that idea of sort of standing at The doorway between the non-physical and the physical, bringing things into this reality that we cannot see and taste and touch and hear until they manifest here, has great parallels to an ancient understanding of how Mother Earth works. Somehow, after the winter, when everything looks dead, plants grow again. There's nothing there on the surface of the Earth, and yet it comes back. Trees that look completely dead suddenly become pliable again in spring and bud. How is this possible? So there's this correlation, I believe, to the the mother figure, that grandmother figure who was a shaman connected to the powers of Mother Earth, that somehow those things got wedded together. And so in in my book, I talk about that, path of the veneration of the female that has been sort of truncated in these last 6,000 years since the rise of the patriarchy. And so to figure out how we can reclaim the divine feminine from a shamanic point of view to bring it on par with what is the divine male – to put those things together again to help to heal our disconnection from the natural world, our disconnection from other beings, our disconnection from other humans. And so this circuitous journey evolved as a part of writing this book. And I'm sure it sounds way more complicated as I explain it, but it's this <laughs> this marvelous following the breadcrumb trail experience that I mm-hmm. I hope I have led people down a similar path in my writing to try to understand at what point did we truly understand and at what point did we fall out of connection and lose that understanding and what is a possible path to reclaiming it? mm mm-hmm. and- mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: Is there any is there a particular way just in terms of being a shamanic practitioner given your your own unique path that that once you connected with this ener- energy of the first shaman did things shift or crystallize or I mean did it did it change your own practice in, in a way
1: I became much more aware of the crowd I have behind me. Hmm. Mm -hmm. There's something really profound in recognizing that you have people that look some like you but more not like you behind us, each one of us. I mean, we're all basically in every single one of us who is alive on the planet today. We share, for instance, one ancestor, a woman that was alive about 180,000 years ago in Africa because we are... the. The uh, mitochondria in each one of our cells is directly connected to her. Because mitochondria DNA only uh, changes through mutation. So we're able to see the path of her, her lineage, basically. So we are profoundly connected. We have ancestors that – I'm in a Caucasian body, but I have ancestors who are varying shades of brown – and I also carry inside of me the DNA of other human species that interbred with Homo sapiens. So I carry 2.9% of my DNA happens to be Neanderthal. And I also have 0.7% Denisovan, which is an uh, another sort of subspecies of humans that existed at the same time as Neanderthal. So we are all... Um, one literal one family uh, and in a wide shade of colors and shapes. And we are also hybrids of what we think of as modern humans and more archaic species. So we have this enormous crowd behind us that looks a lot like the people that you would see in a big city. Mm -hmm. All different shapes and colors and sizes, you know, all different ideas And yet they stand behind us, and I feel them like a kind of uh, cheering squad. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, they have run the race like a great relay of life. They have passed the baton generation to generation to generation. And now we in a body are holding that baton. And just like in a race where the, the previous runners stand at the rail and yell and scream and wave, they're behind us wanting us to get it right. Wanting us to work on behalf of life and the earth and harmony. They're so invested in our success, not individually, but collectively. Mm -hmm.
0: And all of life. Not even just collectively human, but but life, that us being part of that fabric in a really successful way that makes the whole fabric stronger.
1: Absolutely, because there is an understanding, and I think even more so when we are no longer in physical form, of the interconnections that make life possible. You know, when you no longer have sensory input, you are no longer being deluded by the sense of separateness. Mm Mm-hmm. Just like when we are in a journey state, we feel profoundly the connections we have to all beings, to the elements, to the animals, birds, everything, to the cosmos. And yet, when we're in our ordinary consciousness, our eyes tell us we're separate. You know, we can, you go out of earshot and you're far away. Mm-hmm. And so you can't reach out and actually touch somebody. So you are disconnected. It, it we see, all the the beings in nature is having different forms than we do. So they must be different from us. They must somehow be separate. So in some ways, we have fallen prey to the illusions of our senses. And without that ability to connect in the way that shamans do, we have nothing to antidote it. mm Mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
0: So, Evie, I'm going to take a little sidebar here before we dive more deeply into a couple parts of the book itself. And the little sidebar is I just wanted to kind of sidebar here for a moment about the concept of appropriation. And so what I'd like to say, and and you're welcome to reflect on this, but what I just want to say is when any human being here living right now traces their own bloodline ancestry – and finds through the hard work of cultivating their own ancestral helping spirits, practices that were part of their ancestral lines. They have a right to do that work. And not maybe not necessarily to claim for example i have scottish ancestry i'm certainly not claiming that i'm a scottish shaman but i have the right to tap my scottish ancestry to bring wisdom and guidance and practices into my contemporary practice because they are my ancestors and you know and you're making a, a, an important point that once we we have done that work the work just Expands out to realize that we are one human family, which my helping spirits remind me of constantly, <laughs> is that it's one family. And so that doesn't mean I now have a superficial right to pick, cherry pick anything I want here because it's a book on a shelf, right? Or because it looks cool. But I do have a right to do the work and to connect through my. Like you said, my DNA through my bloodline to people who have been here before me and connect with what they have to teach me. And my experience is they want to teach us and they want us to continue to do the work. So I think it's really important in our effort to understand what appropriation is because appropriation as it is expressed in contemporary life is theft. But mm-hmm. that this that we're talking about here today isn't, in my mind, appropriation. It's actually doing the work to heal our relationship with our ancestors and using what our ancestors have to offer us to get our shit together. <laughs> so, <laughs> if you'll pardon my French. Um, you know that it's and so I, I'm you know give you a moment if you want to comment at all. Um, it, it it's just this this. Um, conversation that keeps rising up in its sort of least well thought through forms these days. And I just wanted to make a little comment so I don't have to feed five hundred field five hundred emails about this. I,
1: I want to I do want to make a comment because I think your point is extremely well taken and I agree. And <laughs> I think it's important if we are called to another cultural's work to explore it but not to try to replicate that culture's way of being instead of doing the work. I think being um, initially called by working with a Peruvian shaman or um, somebody from Siberia or whatever it might be is a marvelous entrance into the work. But And I'll use somebody from the Southern Hemisphere as a great example because a lot of people work with the uh, Peruvian shamans and they're in the Northern Hemisphere. They live in the Northern Hemisphere. And I think... The, the, the idea behind their rituals is far more important than replicating the rituals because their rituals evolved out of where they live and how they live. And when we in the Northern Hemisphere try to replicate that, we are replicating only – it's like memorizing dogma in a way. We are mm-hmm. memorizing a ritual – but without the same relationship to those specific spirits. Mm -hmm. And even if you believe that you are, have a relationship to those spirits because you've visited Peru and you've made offerings to the Apus of the mountains, it is not the same as developing a deep and profound relationship with the spirits where you live. Mm -hmm. I think that is a particular um, Western culture right out of Northern European culture kind of mistake. It's the mm-hmm. idea that sacred land is over the next hill and the other guy has something that we should have. And, and in, that, it. in that way, it's appropriation. It's, it's yeah. a kind of colonial attitude towards someone else's culture. Precisely. And uh, go ahead.
0: I was going to say precisely. And I was going to say, and then the next step is to then Call your practice in this, using this example, Peruvian shaman, because you're too insecure about what you're doing to just put it out there in the world for what it is and using the indigenous connection to validate your own work.
1: Right. And I think is, it's, it's far more important that we develop strong relationships with the spirits where we live. The sacred land is under everybody's feet. And it's up to us to call that back. If we don't feel as though the land is sacred under our feet, then we need to make changes so that that land is more inspirited again, and that we can feel that connection. And I think that Hallelujah, (laughs) sister, that piece of responsibility goes with the shamanic practice. It's about being in reciprocity with the spirits of nature, the spirits that are under our feet, over our head, and that surround us and nurture us. Because we have that responsibility to do that work because we can perceive it. And we also have the um, the ability to use our time that way. There are many people on the planet who do not have the luxury, frankly, of being able to spend their time not working in ordinary ways, but instead using some time to go out and contact the spirits of the land work with them what do they need to do that which I think is a very profound environmental work what do the spirits of the land want what do they need to be mm-hmm. fed Yeah, you know if people are in survival mode they're not as easily able to do that and so those of us who have that ability first of all we know how to use the journey method to contact those spirits and step into relationship and then Because we have that capacity and we have the, frankly, luxury of focusing on a spiritual practice, and I think in some ways that is a luxury in this culture, to be able to do that work is part of our responsibility. It's like you have this power. With it comes responsibility. Mm -hmm. And by contacting the spirits of the land, even just in your own piece of property – Whether you, you know, it's an apartment building and you have a little pocket park right there, or you live in suburbia, as many people in the country, our country in the United States do, you can do things with the spirits of land right where you are. How are you treating that land? Are you using chemical pesticides? Are you planting indigenous plants or things that just look pretty? How are you encouraging the birds and the wildlife in that area? Are you working with your neighbors to change the runoff into the watershed? How are you engaged in the work of being in relationship with Mother Earth? That's what the rituals in Peru are about. That's what the rituals that shamans do all around the world are about. They're about creating harmony. And that's our responsibility to do that work right where we're planted. All right. So that's our sidebar,
0: everyone. We're moving back to Norse shamanism now. <laughs> it, you know, it's so important. And that, that little conversation is, is true. You know, it underlies contemporary shamanic practice, Period. You know, no matter where, no matter who, no matter what, that, that's the state of contemporary shamanic practice for us here today, you know, living in the
1: Western world, wherever that might be. Okay, so. One, one Evie, more let, comment. Oh, that sure. It's about remembering the role of the shaman. We, yeah. we didn't journey just to have splendid visions and do our own inner work. The right. shaman's role was to support harmony. Harmony. In an individual through healing work, between individuals in a tribal group, between that tribal group and the natural world and the the spirits of the animals, whether they be prey animals or not, that was our responsibility. How do we stay in harmony with the cosmos at large, with the elements? That was the job. It was not about, gee, I have a Sunday afternoon and I think I would do a journey so I feel good. That was Mm -hmm. not the job. That was (laughs) not why we came to this work, it was connected vitally to survival and I think it's still connected to our survival at this time.
0: Yeah, and connecting with those energies and, the, and building those relationships and then tending them. I mean, it's an ongoing uh, responsibility to tend those relationships. And I, I have to say, in the ancestral healing work that I do, looking at you know where's the beginning of these energies that are problematic in our lives today, I often go back to that generation at which the practices that tended those relationships stopped. Right. And right. shit went sideways. <laughs> <You know? laughs> anyway, so what I would love to talk about a bit here is a couple more things from the book, which is to go... Back to the idea of cosmology, and sh- if you could share with us a bit about the the world tree, the co- kind of the core cosmology that we you're, you enter into when you enter into the shamanism of these peoples that we're talking about.
1: The uh, Norse Germanic people have a, a rather elaborate spirit world in the way that is uh, more complex than our typical uh, lower worlds, middle world, upper worlds. But it's still um, arranged by a great tree, and that is a common image through many cultures that there's somehow um, an axis mundi that is represented often as a tree that holds all of the realities together. And it makes sense if you live in a landscape, the fact that you have these giant trees and you in the Pacific Northwest know exactly what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. Uh, The primordial forests of our ancestors were more like the Pacific Northwest. Trees that lived for for hundreds of years and into thousands of years that had not been taken down by axes and saws were a a very obvious bridge between the the world that we stand on with our feet and the sky that we can't quite touch. And so uh, a tree is a perfect unifying principle in... N- Norse um, practice its nine realms, but it can just as easily be thought of in the same way as three worlds, that there's a an upper world, which is the Asgard, which you can think of as sort of the, the heavenly realms, and then each of the others are arranged on this tree. And um, one of the things I love about the idea of having our cosmology in that way organized in a kind of Axis Mundi, is that there is no one center of the cosmos. The, the, The center of the cosmos is everywhere all at once. So whenever we are intentionally stepping into doing our work, we position ourselves at the center of the cosmos. We create a center. So when you put an altar together, when you light a candle and do a prayer, when you create your altar to do your work, when you call all of the ancestors around you, when you honor the spirits in all directions around you, you are creating that hub of the wheel. And it's a vertical hub of the wheel that allows us access to all of creation. And so there's so much similarity, even though there's a, a complexity in the Norse-Germanic uh, cosmology, it's still arranged in a way that has these far older, um, a far older understanding of how um, the world can be connected in that way. The idea that the worlds, all the realms are connected by this one, one thread, like beads on a string, and that we can stand right there in the center of all things gives us a sense of our place in the world that somehow my life that may be feeling out of control in that moment, when I call sacred space, I am standing or sitting at the center of the cosmos and I can interact with all of creation in that way. There's something very, very profound to me. In that image of the great tree, it reminds us that we have access to all of it, that we are connected to all of it, and that we are held by all of it.
0: Is there a way that um, sort of… building a relationship with this cosmology so it became real for you. Is there a way that working in the cosmology changed your sense of your shamanic work?
1: I liked the idea of interacting with middle world spirits in a slightly different way. I'm used to working with the spirits around my home and what have you, but working with my ancestors' understanding of nature spirits was very powerful for me. My uh, maternal grandmother would put out um, milk and and porridge on her back steps in suburban Long Island in the house my grandfather built. And when I asked her about it in the early 60s as a curious kid, uh, she would tell me that she was feeding the squirrel and the neighbor's cat. And well, I knew squirrels didn't eat that stuff and I thought, well, I could buy the bowl of milk for the cat but not so much the po- the porridge. And what I realized as an adult is she grew up on a farm in Norway and how you cared for the middle world spirits, the Nissa, was to leave food for them because sometimes they made little little – clothing things for him as well. But more often than not, you left food because they were the middle world spirits that were responsible for the fact that the cows would give enough milk, that the, farms would, the farm would be fertile. And so she carried that over to the new world. And understanding the idea of giants, I love the idea of giants that there are somehow these primordial beings, which are really like forces in an anthropomorphic form that are bigger than us, more powerful than us, and more ancient than us. That puts us into a relationship with the forces of nature in an accessible kind of way. The Norse-Germanic pantheon is an Indo-European pantheon. And so it's just – it's related in the same way that the Hindu pantheon is or the Greek pantheon that you may remember from school – suddenly all these things that are somewhat intangible now have faces. So they become gods, goddesses, what have you. So you can interact with them. You can be in relationship with them. And so I loved that about the Norse Germanic pantheon because suddenly these forces of nature, these aspects of middle world spirits, now became beings. So I can interact with them in a, in a more amorphous way, which is what I was more familiar with, but I can also access them in these anthropomorphic forms that my ancestor interacted with. And, you know, somehow it's much easier for human beings to be in relationship with things that have a bilateral symmetry in their face right. with two eyes and two ears and a nose and what have you. There's something that is much easier about that. And I also think it's easier to feel kinship. With beings that have that resonance to a a, a a way that we understand, a physical appearance or a uh, a feeling. For those of you who don't see in your journeys, a feeling of oh yes, I recognize you as another being I can talk to, and that's that that bridge I think is helpful.
0: Yeah. So Evie, we have just a couple more minutes and I was really hoping to get to this final, you know, the question with which you close the book. So, we, so we've gotten to the place where we've got these two cultures come together and colliding um, to, and this cosmology forming. So could you talk about how do we get to that question of destruction or renewal?
1: I think we have to remember in the sort of the, the opposite of being dismembered. I think we've been dismembered for 6,000 years, we have become very hierarchical in our culture structure. We have become very separate in our ways of being. And by remembering the ways, not just that other cultures do it, but that our own ancestors did it, we can reclaim a way of being that is far healthier for us, for all other beings, and for the earth herself. Because that that hierarchical Dominance of our culture means that we have dominated women first of all, we have dominated other cultures, we have dominated the earth herself and taken what we 've wanted i mean in some ways it's uh, it 's a hard hard expression to use, but it 's really a kind of rape culture that we live in mm-hmm. it 's an abusive culture that we live in and we've been trained to think that's okay and our ancestors through our journeys can help us to remember something that's older and more whole and to in that process empower each one of us to call forth that aspect that lives in us you know the germanic languages and and jonathan horowitz says this all the time The Germanic languages have two different words when they refer to power. There's power as energy, which is kraft. So it's, you know, the uh, power plant is an energy factory, basically. And then there's the word macht, which is power as force. And we've been expressing power as force in the hopes that we would feel power as energy. And I think we have to start doing that the other way around. Mm -hmm. And one of the doorways for that is stepping into relationship with nature. Even if you do not journey, you must spend more time out in the natural world because Mm -hmm. nature has a way of informing us in a way that is beneath our intellect and goes directly to the heart. Mm -hmm. Hmm. And secondly, I would say journeying and then also doing ritual. Because ritual is a way that we can inform our subconscious where we need to be programmed to do things differently. When we do something with an intent and we engage our physical body, we are telegraphing to that subconscious aspect of ourselves. This is important. This is real. And when we have programmed ourselves in that way, it begins to change the way we live. Suddenly, the most important part of us knows that it's true, not just the veneer on the top of our head, but our subconscious and our heart that can lead us in a different direction.
0: Thank you, Evie. And thanks for writing this book at this time because, as, as you said, who knew <laughs> – well, your Helping Spirits obviously did, but who knew it would be so important at this particular time to help us to relearn how to um live the solutions our time is calling out of us you know it's here in us we need to find it and draw it out and this is this book is a is a beautiful opportunity for to guide people in that exploration because actually even if your ancestors aren't norse shamans you could put another word in there and still follow the practices and connect with your own ancestors whatever they yeah, might
1: absolutely be. absolutely yeah. and you go back yeah. far enough it's all the same and I have well, to say, even though we're done for today, I would love mm-hmm. to continue this conversation. We, we have to get mm-hmm. together like this again.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, Evelyn Reisdyk, thank you so much. Um, you all can just click on her page at com and connect to all of her links and her book, etc. Thank you so much for being with me again and sharing your wisdom and your journey with us.
1: Oh, Much love to you, Christina. I love <laughs> chatting
0: you. with you. Thank you. All right. So to those ancestors that have gathered around us here today, we give our profound gratitude. Thank you so much for your patience and persistence with us. To the earth below and the sky above, we give enormous gratitude and we give thanks to the heart here in the center, the heart that unites us all. Thank you, everyone, and have a good week.